0: Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts.
1: We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We are so excited that you're here with us today. Today, we're going to be talking with Stephanie Bolio, and she's going to be talking about how to connect emotionally with your teen. We're going to break this up into two episodes. So here's part one with
0: Stephanie. Stephanie Bolio has been married for more than 12 years, and they have four lovely children. She has a private practice in Pennsylvania where she works with individuals, families, couples, and youth. She also is a director for two separate teen crisis lines, where she answers texts from Youth in Crisis 24-7. Stephanie has a passion for working through difficult situations with people. A main focus for Stephanie is to provide guidance and healing with biblical worldview to achieve a healthier life. Of all those wonderful and amazing titles, I think the most important one is that she's actually my sister. (laughs) Stephanie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's just start off with you telling us a little bit about what you do.
2: Yeah, so I answer two different crisis text lines. So uh, teens have access to mental health therapists 24-7 in a few different regions in the United States. And so with that, the other licensed therapist and I hear about how teens are feeling in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, if they have their phone with them, they're talking about, You know, what's going on in their lives? What, what is the biggest stressor? Why, why are they up in the middle of the night? What are their friendships like? And then also during school hours too, we often will get texts from teens talking about what's going on at school. How are they feeling? What are the, what's stressing them out? Then I also have a private practice. So with that, I see people of all different ages, individuals, couples, teens, young kids, families, all alike. And to bring healing to them in whatever situation they're going through. And so that's kind of what I do. I also volunteer in various aspects in the community. Those are my two main things that I do.
0: Now, I kind of have two follow-up questions for you with your long list of things that you do. The first question I have for you is, with the teen crisis lines, what are two or three top kind of themes you think you see when you're answering these kids in crisis?
2: You know, one thing that might be very surprising is the deep emotional turmoil. Oftentimes we hear about students who, if they get their phone taken away, they're in crisis because they're one of the only ones who they feel like a friend who is suicidal or self-harming will talk to that they have no other parent to be able to communicate and tell their emotions. So it's almost like these teens are feeling like they need to be a therapist. They don't know how emotionally how to handle that. And so they are in this deep turmoil of how do I handle my life, everything that I'm going through, and also be the saving grace for my friend. And so that, that one is a big one where just this intense weight is on their shoulder and they have a really hard time dealing with that. As you know, as therapists, we not only go through schooling to figure out how to keep those boundaries where we have our own lives. And then we also have our therapy life where we are taking the weight of others onto our shoulders, but we can kind of manage both. It not only took schooling, intense schooling, but also experience on how to do that. And, you know, teens, of course, don't have that ability. Right. And we have
1: colleagues and other people who can support us along the way. And so it sounds like you're really a big support to them as they feel like they have to then counsel their friends.
0: I think that's such an interesting thing. So what you're saying is these kids, they're so overburdened with trying to help their friends that they are getting burned out and overwhelmed themselves.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And where we can come in as parents, is connecting with our teens so that one, they feel like if they're having those intense emotions, they have somebody to go to, to listen to, to understand without feeling like they will be yelled at or misunderstood or their emotions will be not valid. And then also, how do you support your teen who is the therapist for another teen? And how do you set those boundaries?
0: And so when you're talking to one of these teens in crisis who is struggling with this, with the burden of trying to save their friend. What's the advice that you give to them in those situations?
2: Yeah, excellent. So oftentimes we will just kind of provide them with coping skills that if they were suicidal or if they were self-harming, what we would be telling them. But then also we always bring it back to, they really need to reach out to a parent or trusted adults in their life to express these two, that they're not walking through this alone, but they will have an adult. And then two to make sure that they understand that professional help is really needed. That the teen who is going through this needs somebody who understands what's really going on.
0: I think it's such a big, heavy, weighty issue. It definitely is too much for a teen to take on on their own. Absolutely. But then they worry that nobody else can help them. But I think just what you're saying, the best that they can do is try to encourage their friend to talk to a parent or to go to therapy themselves, because. If the teen who's talking to you could solve their friend's problem, they would also be able to solve their own and they wouldn't need to be on the crisis line. But the right. problem is now they got their own problems on their plate, plus their friend's problems on their plate.
2: And that's a lot. How do you, you know, walk through life with so much on top of you? Most of the times, do the parents know that they're texting you? I would say the parents know that this is a free service that the community is offering, but they might not know that their student is using the line. So I know that you
1: talked about themes that you're seeing as far as the weight that these students are really holding and the responsibility they feel for their friendships and to almost save them or be counselors to them. What are some other emotions and struggles that you think teens are feeling today?
2: I think anxiety is a big one. Mm -hmm. Having a difficult time dealing with schoolwork and responsibilities and expectations and body image as well. They just kind of bring all of that on and don't really know how to handle it. Oftentimes it's a quick getaway to look at your phone if a teen has a phone, they don't really need to sit with their emotion, they can easily find that escape. But then later, they're left even more devastated or more intense anxiety, because they have just filled the void instead of really sat with the emotion and processed it. Depression, same thing. Oftentimes, when somebody's feeling sad, it's this big depression, rather than I'm feeling sad today, but I'm not depressed. You know, there's there is a difference between sadness. We all feel sadness and depression is a little bit different. But that feeling like oh if I'm sad then I'm depressed. Label me with depression. I think teens don't really know the difference between those two. So then it almost creates more anxiety too. Like, oh no, I am a teen with depression now because I'm sad. Also healthy relationships. I hear a lot about toxic relationships as far as You know, somebody wants to break up with somebody and that person is saying, well, I'm going to self-harm if you break up with me. So just that intense, toxic relationship and then feeling that weight there, too, and then not knowing how to set healthy boundaries within friendships. Those are some really big issues that I've seen with working with teens. And then for family life, it's my, my family's just too busy. They don't really have time to listen to me or to understand me because life is just too busy.
1: That's interesting that you say that about wanting a diagnosis, because I think that's really been a big culture shift where in the past therapy has had a lot of stigma, right? And people don't want people to know that they're in therapy, But now I feel like at least among teens that there's almost a culture shift where everybody has to have a diagnosis or they're talking about their therapist and who they're seeing. And not that it's this cool thing, but it really is a shift. And so do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I have absolutely seen that. It's almost like a rites of passage, you know, being a teen, it's you know, everybody's dealing with something and it is kind of a good feeling to know, I hey, I have a therapist, you have a therapist, and we can talk about it openly. This is what my therapist is telling me. This is what your therapist is telling you. And we can kind of compare notes and like almost be a big support in that area. But also there's that not everybody needs to be in therapy. So that it's kind of a interesting shift. But yes, I have definitely seen that shift happen.
0: Do you feel like the younger generation, the pendulum has swung too far, where the older generation was like kind of anti-therapy, but now this new generation is all about diagnosis and trauma and got to have a therapist and things like that?
2: Yes, absolutely. Which, you know, we don't all need a, a diagnosis. We don't all need a therapist. It's great that the new generation is excited about it, but it's definitely not needed, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think therapy can always be beneficial, right? There's always personal growth that can happen in there. But it really is that idea of diagnosis and this covering of mental health, which I think, like you said, it really is a good thing. And it's brought a lot to light and people can talk more openly about it. But when it becomes something where people are actively seeking diagnoses so that they could tell their friends what they have, then I think that's a different thing.
2: Yeah. You said it beautifully. That is exactly what's happening.
0: So now, with that being said, I want to ask another question, which may seem a little contrary, but two things can be correct at the same time. Do you think there has been an increase in mental health struggles for teens in this generation compared to previous generations?
2: Yes, I think there are so many things happening for our poor teens, which will definitely make them stronger. The fact that they're more willing to go into therapy when things are struggle is great, because they do have a lot more on their plate than previous generations. One, you know, COVID, of course, teens forgot how to make a friend. And then if they went to a new school, They didn't know how to make a friend on Zoom. How do you make a friend on Zoom? So we talked a lot about that that year and a lot about the unknown and the not feeling in control. And that brought up a lot of depression, anxiety for a lot of teens. And then not having like kind of a support system if they didn't feel comfortable talking to their parents. They also didn't have really that connection with their friend group like they did before. And then we also have that social media and that I talked about before where you can just pick up your phone and kind of go through your phone, scroll it and just kind of escape from what you're feeling in the moment, which if we've learned anything from therapy, it's that if you sweep things under the rug, eventually that rug is going to be a mountain and it's much harder to deal with a mountain than it is a couple of dust bunnies. Also, social media, too, because now their accessibility is 24-7. Teens, other teens, friendships can get a hold of them. They can view what other teens are doing online at all times. Well, why didn't you invite me to dinner when all my other friends were going to dinner with you? That creates that loneliness and that depression. And then also the comparison. My body doesn't look like that. My family's not doing that. We, of course, put the best on social media and it's not reality. You know, not every moment, even if you go to a party, not every moment is awesome. But when you look at the pictures, you think, wow, that was a you can't miss party when that's not real. Social media is trying to shift into posting more real things. But for a teenager, they're going to put the best photo forward.
1: Yeah. Do you find that that's often the trigger of why they're texting you is I saw on social media this guy that I liked, blah, blah, blah. Or I saw that my friends went out here and they didn't invite me. I know that you said you experienced that, but do you think that that's a lot of what you get in texting? Is that that, that's the trigger that has now allowed them to spiral down and then text you?
2: Yes, absolutely. We hear about loneliness all the time. And typically what happens is they sit in that loneliness until one or two o'clock in the morning when everybody else is asleep. And now their loneliness is heightened even more. And now they can't even talk to anyone about it. So then they text in feeling that intense emotion when if they had just gone to bed at a reasonable time, they probably wouldn't feel this intense loneliness at that moment.
0: So, Stephanie, you answer text 24-7. What is that like for you? And then how do you manage being on call basically all day, every day?
2: Because you have a lot of young kids at home. I do, yeah. Uh, You know, we're balancing a lot at home. and. Being available 24-7 for teens is amazing. It's so great to be able to walk through teens problems with them and come out on the other side with them or give them tools to work through things. But on the flip side, it definitely can be exhausting. If I have texts all day long and then all night long, I'm not getting rest. And so being able to work with amazing therapists to say, hey, I just need an hour or two away from the text line, just to regroup and feel like I can focus on something other than everything that, you know, these teens are feeling, you know, they're really intense often. And so taking a step back and saying, okay, I just need a a little bit of moment to regroup and to refocus. And I'll come back more willing to step in and give really good responses to these teens that they of course deserve. And so I think being able to be aware of when I need my own self-care is really important. And then I do have two days that I have off. And those days I am detached from the phone. If you text me during those days, you know it might be a little bit longer that I will respond to you. And I enjoy that. I enjoy being detached from the phone for a little bit uh, where I can just solely focus on my family in the moment.
0: And so I would imagine that the texting kind of ebbs and flows where there's kind of dead times where not so many people are texting, but then there might be kind of surge times. What do you find is some of the most frequent times where you're getting texts at?
2: I would say the most is in the late evening. So around 9, 10, 11 o'clock is the most prevalent. You know, the day is kind of unwinding. Their activities are done for the day. They've kind of been distracted all day and then they're getting hit with emotion. And that's kind of when that happens. It kind of goes in waves sometimes for late night texts. So one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes we'll have quite a few texters in those hours and it feels like it's back to back. And then sometimes there'll be a couple of nights where we don't have any late nights. But also every once in a while, we'll get quite a few texts before school. They're anxious about what's going to happen in school. They're worried about... A friend situation. They're worried about a romantic interest. They're worried about school and finals and tests, and that maybe they didn't study the way that they thought they should have. So those are some of those big moments. Is before school in the late evenings.
1: So seeing teens really struggle with all of this, how do you think parents can connect emotionally to their teen to help them along?
2: The good news is that you don't have to go through the teen years the way the world's views teens. You know, we often see that teens are rebellious and that they roll their eyes at their parents and they aren't connected. They're more connected with their friends than they are with their parents, but you don't have to give into that. You can make these simple steps on connecting with teens, your everyday experience. And so that they feel like, okay, my parents have my back. And that doesn't mean they're jumping into a situation and saving them, but they're helping walk through the emotion. What is the emotion? Label it. What to do about it. Some coping skills or processing. And then what are the next steps? Some of the main ways is not being discouraged by those harsh tones or I don't knows or eye rolling, but to show respect to your team. I know that's really hard in the moment when you're not getting that respect. And that doesn't mean that you lessen boundaries, or you allow them to slide on rules. It's when you're giving out those rules or those consequences, you're doing it respectfully in your own tone as a parent and in your words. If you're not labeling them a name, that's good. You you don't want to disrespect them in that way. Another way is carving out time. You know, if you're so busy, you can't sit and talk to your teen, you need to take something off of your plate. Because you only have teens for five or six years, and then they're out of the house. So if even as simple as no electronics in the car, oftentimes teens like to have earbuds in and listen to music or podcasts or whatever. If you can say no electronics in the car, that is a great time to dive into a deep conversation. And you won't have a deep conversation every single car ride, but it does take seven to eight minutes to enter into a deep conversation. And typically you're in the car for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And if you have multiple kids, you can, you know, transition the next person into the hot seat being the shotgun where you, you have that time with them. And then the next kid, you know, gets to go into the hot seat and just allowing yourself to kind of carve into that time of being available to your kids. I've had a friend who does a journal back and forth with her daughter where Her daughter doesn't feel comfortable saying something face to face, but she'll write it in a journal and she'll leave it on her mom's bed and her mom will have the ability to kind of pause, not react, but respond appropriately to what is being said. And she'll write it in the journal and then she'll leave it on her bed. And then that's just the starting point, because then. The mom can bring it up and say, hey, you know, let's talk a little bit more about this. And we can have that face-to-face conversation. My neighbor walks with her teen son every night. They take their dog out. If you pass them, you're hearing they're nonstop talking about things. She has carved out that time for just them. And that is such a special way. Even putting away laundry. If you're bringing laundry into your son or daughter's room and they're like kind of getting ready for bed You could just ask us a couple of simple questions, some open-ended questions, just to say, hey, I'm here to listen and validate however they're feeling. Another great way to connect with your teen is by doing something, coming up with some kind of hobby. And I know often parents are like, the only hobby my teen has is on their phone. But that's a great way for you to be like, okay, well, I like pottery. So we're going to take a pottery class together, or I like archery, or I like board games. Let's do this together. Let's do some kind of hobby. Cause I've noticed that teens are more willing to, well, just kids in general, I think are more willing to talk about things that are serious. If you're actively doing something, if their hands are moving and you're not like face to face often, even in therapy, if I have a teen. I might not sit in front of them just staring at them, but we might play a game or we might draw or color. And then their focus is down versus thinking about how I'm perceiving them. And then building your kids up in affirmations. Tim and Ruth, you do this, you ours at night. And I've told my clients about it, you know, especially with my teen clients. Sometimes the parents will put a little very short note about what they appreciate about them in the morning every day. And I have seen transformation in amazing ways when parents give affirmations to their kids, because so often we are so quick just as people in general to take in all the negative. But when we're getting an affirmation every single day, that lightens their load, that makes them brighter, that makes them start to believe that there's some positive thing inside of them. And and with those affirmations, I would warn that if you are giving an affirmation, because I've often heard parents say, well, I give affirmations, but it's normally in like a consequence. If you're saying an affirmation and you're saying, but that's not good. You have just destroyed those affirmations. You might as well have not even said them because they only hear the but and then the negative, the thing that they're not doing adequately.
0: So you're saying make sure when you're doing the affirmations, it's exclusively an affirmation, no buts included.
2: Correct. Yes. You need to make that set apart. You are this no matter what you do. You are this kind of person. It's truly amazing to see how positive words can transform people. Gosh, that was so much,
1: so was much amazing intentional parenting right there where you just talked about, you know, mm-hmm. because those opportunities can come and go so quickly, like, hey, let's get in the car, hurry up, let's go to school or go to dance, wherever we're going to go. And we miss that opportunity that, oh, this is a chance to connect with my kid. But I think another thing in that realm is making sure that you're being respectful with how you talk about your children, not just how you talk to them, Right but how you talk about them to other people. And I hear this so often in parenting. And it's not just teenagers, even at the ages that we have our children at, right? That so often we hear, oh, my teen only plays video games or he's so disrespectful or he always rolls his eyes. And even if you're not talking to them, they're hearing this. Because I think oftentimes kids don't want to come home because of the environment, but also how they're treated, right? They're judged, they're yelled at, they're picked on, maybe they're given affirmations, but the best kind of compliment that Tim can get is if I'm talking to someone else about him and somehow that leaks back to him like, oh, your wife was saying this about you. Or if somebody else tells someone something great about him, because that person isn't saying it to gain favor from Tim. They're truly being honest about it. When we can talk highly about our kids, even if they're in earshot, that's really great. But even making it a point when they're not there to have that same respect for them.
0: Oh, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Ruth. I think sometimes parents will use talking to their spouse or to their friends in front of their kids as a way to passive-aggressively chastise their child. They're wanting their child to hear them talking badly about them, hoping that it will cause them to hear that and then change their behavior. But I just don't think that that's a very effective way. If you're trying to passive aggressively use talking in front of your kid to get them to change their behavior, you really need to figure out a new parenting tool to try to just talk to them directly and to challenge that behavior directly rather than using passive aggressive tendencies.
2: Yeah, because that, that can lead to a whole bunch of problems. And then they're learning how to be passive aggressive because you're you're modeling it. And I love what you said about
1: not having to go through the teen years the way that the world does, the way that everybody else does. That mindset shift can make such a drastic difference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Even with terrible twos, you know, we have this culture of, oh, they're in the terrible twos or they're in the horrible threes. But every time your toddler goes through an emotion that's totally normal for them as they're learning emotions and they're learning how to communicate, you're thinking about that. And then you're clouding your judgment and how you respond to them through that negative lens. And just like teens, they're going through those difficult emotions and they're going through figuring out how to express themselves. And if we can say, okay, I'm going to come alongside you and not think of, oh, these horrible teen years and have that negative view. It really does change how not only we feel about them, how more available we be for them and then how we treat them.
1: Thank you for joining us today. That was so much great information from Stephanie, and I cannot wait for you to hear the rest of it. So join us in the next episode as we continue our interview with Stephanie Bolio. Have a great day, and remember, your mind is a powerful thing.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know.
1: Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.